Welcome to Wine on the Front Line, where in this episode we discuss biodynamics and ancient soils in the context of producing fine wine in a changing climate. In this interview with award-winning winemaker Peter Fraser of Yangara Estate McLaren Vale in Australia, we discuss how using organic and biodynamic techniques has boosted biodiversity and hopefully resilience against climate extremes in the vineyard. I also taste four wines, the 2020 Blanc, a blend of five Rhone grape varieties, the 2019 Noir, a blend of six Rhone varieties, and the 2018 Old Vine Grenache, and the 2019 PF Shiraz, all organic and biodynamically produced. With so much focus on farming practice and how agriculture needs to find ways to boost ecosystems, Peter offers great insights into why careful conversion is very much about trialling and learning about what works and what doesn't. The quest here is to produce a win-win for us, the consumers, for the wine producer and for the complex life forms that underpin our own existence. Thank you for listening to Wine on the Front Line. Peter, thank you very much for joining me today. Can you start by giving us a broad overview of the Yangara estate soils, the climate, and how you're working on the estate? Yeah, thanks for kind of having given me the opportunity to kind of talk about Yangara. Nick, the soil is, um, I suppose, I take one step back and talk about the geology. We're very fortunate in McLaren Vale, there's quite a diverse, there's about 19 different geological groups within McLaren Vale and um, we lie in a geology that's about 56 million years old and the beauty of Australia is you know we have very old formed country so the the soils kind of I suppose are a bit like geologists say that um, the soil is like the dandruff to the earth so that the soil is kind of formed from that geology and and that geology is, is a sandstone and so what lies above it is a lot of weathered sandstone, which is sand, effectively. Very little organic matter or clay, if you like. Although there, there's a layer of clay that sits deep in the subsoil above the rock. So it's very good drainage, but there's also kind of the ability of the soil to, or the vines to be able to take moisture from the vines kind of deep within. We also have kind of outcrops of, of ironstone, which is also a sandstone, but, but very red and affected by the higher levels of iron in it. We'll get into it a bit later, but I suppose making wines from a single estate like we do, we farm and look after those soils so that they hopefully express the unique character within the wines. And the other part of Yangara that sits in a kind of a less populated part of McLaren Vale of vineyards in the northeast of the Blewett Springs sub-region of McLaren Vale is higher elevation. So we sit between about 170 and 210 metres above sea level. And with that, we have a little bit more influence of the kind of cool air, especially at night time coming down from the Adelaide Hills, which kind of lengthens our harvest and puts us back into late March, April, and a lot of the hot weather comes in February. So our, our ripening is, is kind of slowed and thus you kind of get a probably better physiological ripeness that, that marries with the sugar levels and the acidity. So that kind of sums it up. And with the higher altitude, the cooler temperatures, you're sort of, with your grape selections, you, you've paralleled yourself a bit with the Rhone. Are you saying that there is a very similar climate to the Rhone Valley? Yeah, if you look at... Um, 
probably nearly more similar to probably areas like Gigondas, where you're getting a bit of slight higher elevation. And McLaren Vale is classified as a kind of warm Mediterranean climate. We're quite close to the sea, although it's a gulf, so it's relatively sheltered. McLaren Vale is slightly cooler than the Brossa, but like I said, it's, it's kind of considered a warm region and we're in probably one of the coolest spot within a warm region so it's still kind of when i say cool you know it's still not a region that you would be growing pinot noir or chardonnay so it does very well you know obviously grenache is, is probably one of the hero varieties of our region and a hero within our sub-region bluet springs so we've kind of focused on varieties that grow well where grenache grows and thus we've kind of really dialed in on on the Chardonnay varieties. And so far, you know, we're only about five years in on some of the more obscure Chardonnay to pup varieties and, and they are looking incredibly promising and, and especially the whites. You mentioned a minute ago about the organic and biodynamic farming. What's driven that move in that direction? It started in probably about 2007. I actually had an interest in it and probably somewhat ignorance at that time. I went to a biodynamic seminar that was held by Manfred Klett from Germany, who is kind of one of the world gurus of biodynamics. And I'm not sure whether he's still around, but you know, he was relatively old when I did that seminar back in 2007. And he talked about you know, the pathways that happen in soil that basically enable the mineral elements to feed into a plant. And I had a very much a tipping point moment, one of those light bulb moments of like, here we are kind of um, talking about, you know, wines with a sense of place. And everything that he talked about that modern agriculture using synthetic chemicals kind of blocks a plant from being able to take up its natural mineral elements and when we're talking about wine if you're adding those synthetic elements to you know help your farming i suppose you're you're somewhat clouding what is the natural expression of the site so that was my primary moment and then we basically removed all our synthetic chemicals in not that we were heavy we had a relatively balanced approach but it, it definitely wasn't organic or biodynamic and and so we removed all the synthetic chemicals and then we started to get the confidence to become certified i think one of the challenges in wine is that your audience is spread all over the world and certification is a very important process that I think helps build trust with your customers and consumers around the world that feel like, you know what, somebody's checked these guys that they're actually doing what they're saying they're doing. It's frustrating in some ways because there are some limitations within certification, but I think it's a very important part to build the integrity of the wines and a trust between that and the people that are buying a wine that can know that you know, what you say you do is actually correct. When you start taking away these um, pesticides and herbicides and everything else, and you go through the process of conversion, what's, what are the characteristics of the land that you start to see change that impacts the, the vines, the fruit and everything else? It's really interesting. And I, at that similar time in my research, I was fortunate to stumble across a guy who wasn't about biodynamics, who was more about talking about pasture and which pretty much is what grows underneath the vine. And he talked about that, you know, various different plants have remedial 
actions, natural actions on the soil. And so I'd read all this. And then as we were going through that process, I was watching it happen. So the, the undervine that had been previously sprayed with herbicide started to have an influx of, of deep rooted, fast growing, broadleaf weeds and you know they probably shouldn't be really called weeds because what they're actually doing is taking nutrient from the deeper parts of the soil and then growing a quite a fast growing plant and when you mow it down give you a lot of carbon and take mineral elements that have come from deep within the soil to the top of the soil and in that book he described that as as that happens and the soil is repairing itself that you'll start to see an influx of you know much nicer less dominating and competing grasses and more kind of slow growing herbs and and various so having read that and then watching this natural transformation was very exciting i'd say in the first few years though we we probably didn't understand some of the inputs that we needed to there's a bit of a when you don't know what to do you do nothing And in the early stages, we probably didn't have quite enough undervine equipment to mow and to dispense. You know, we put out nearly a thousand cubic metres of Mm. compost on the vineyard now. And so in those early days, we probably didn't put out anywhere near that amount and didn't realise the kind of natural inputs that are required in in that system. And then something that we, I suppose, we we watched and developed through trial and error is that what I love about biodynamics is and or organic farming, natural levels of farming is that it's very preventative in its style. It's a bit like I give the analogy of healthy eating. If you're eating natural produce that's full of natural vitamins and minerals and you're exercising and you're doing all those things, it's all very preventative and you're actually probably more less likely to be sick versus kind of the fast food diet where you're constantly having to take medicines and vitamins and minerals to to sustain yourself. So what you're saying is that when you start almost building or restoring an ecosystem it starts developing its internal resilience so it can self self self-sustaining it's amazing and it was interesting in 2011 we had a very wet harvest michael our vineyard manager who i worked together for now since 1998 you know we were probably very scared it was probably one of the most stressful vintages but it turned out even the short time that we'd been farming the way we had our vineyard because we were conscious of the canopy in the vineyard having quite open, good airflow, all those types of things. We actually weathered that harvest better than those that had been applying, you know, anti-petroticide chemicals, etc., which often are, are futile anyway because the bunch has already formed and, and those chemicals can't actually, and, and botrytis forms within the bunch. Um, so from the inside out. So we were incredibly encouraged by the results that came out of the 2011 harvest. And it was funny, it was probably one of the kind of pivotal points for Yangara was the recognition within a bad vintage that we produced great in a bad vintage. And uh, I really feel like that vintage was a real pivotal point of people seeing kind of what we could do yeah, it's very interesting and so by doing this practice you're kind of stimulating the natural environment if you like but you're also a key part of it in many ways because ultimately you're driving the fruit but has the quality of the fruit what's the key think, component of balancing all of this to get the right outcome you just keep working at it um there's no silver bullet you're kind of continually learning you know our 
goals are to continue kind of building biodiversity within the undervine to also the you know the surrounding we're very fortunate that we have uh, nearly 90 hectares of vineyard but we have nearly a similar amount of of non-vineyard which are creekways and fields etc and so you know those areas we're trying to plant up with indigenous non-indigenous species that might produce flowers that attract various beneficial bugs and things like that that really just keep adding to the mix and um, I, I think some of the detail that's required I talked about you know the the canopy management the leaf plucking and the shoot thinning and and making sure there's really good airflow within the, the vine all kind of build a certain resilience within the vine where it you know I don't think we understand how nature talks to itself and all the microbes are kind of influencing, you know, the symbiotic relationships with microbes and plants and all those kind of things. And you just start to see slightly thicker skins, better expression, more pure expressions. But then I think that's also involved our winemaking where you're kind of, I suppose, looking to try and get the intensity of the flavour from the vineyard, but then handling the grapes and the resulting wine more gently. Probably over that same period of time, we we probably keep our red fermentations on skins longer, but we actually handle them less. We're kind of doing far more gentle macerations than we would have done 10 or 15 years ago yeah we're using larger format oak we're using you know a lot more amphora and and ceramic eggs and working with very subtle new oaks that predominantly we're using shiraz and then some of the older material as it gets older and and less influential we might use it with some of the other varieties but you know really i suppose trying to reduce our footprint on the wines and letting them kind of have a, a greater kind of purity about them. I just wanted very quickly to touch on over the last couple of years, I mean, it's been very sort of tangible, um, extreme weather events in Australia. I don't think you've been impacted directly by any of this, but how has it felt being a winemaker in agriculture and seeing this stuff going on? I mean, it must be quite alarming. Um, I suppose it's been somewhat scary that, you know, you hope, that you're you're not in that area that um so we've been very fortunate not to have any smoke taint issues um we it's we've been very fortunate even like so the 2020 harvest the previous harvest went incredibly hot weather in late spring right up till raison um, when the grapes are starting to accumulate sugar you know if it had kept on like that we had incredibly low yields but at at pretty much bang on raison when the grapes start to soften and accumulate sugar the weather just got really cool and we actually had a really cold ripening um so we we had a a beautiful, very small, but beautiful 2020 vintage. When you say think, very hot, what sort of temperatures are you? Temperatures of nearly 45 degrees centigrade in, I think it was November, which is kind of, you know, late spring, early summer. The vines are kind of just growing so that it didn't really have any impact on raisining or, or the grapes ripening too fast because they hadn't actually got to that stage but in that year we saw like thicker skins than ever and i and i wonder whether the resilience of you know the the way we set up the canopy kind of helps those things and then what we're seeing is probably more extremes to to mm. kind of get back a bit more on topic and i think it becomes where your vineyard you know your vineyard we're very fortunate 
that Michael and I have both, you know, over 20 years of farming this vineyard is, is experience. And with every vintage, you kind of, you know, put a bit more information in your toolbox, which is kind of what worked, what didn't work and knowing kind of what blocks ripen fast, first. I suppose also having the, the physical capacity because what we've seen probably more often than not is that a harvest is quicker and faster. The one that we've just had in the past was kind of one of those perfect harvests where everything ripens really slowly. But in a, either a, a warm vintage or a, or a very cold vintage or a very wet vintage, things can often have to happen very quickly. So you've kind of got to set yourself up for success in those extremes where you can react quickly and and possibly modify you know your expectations because you've got experience over many years to be able to know what works and what doesn't work in those situations there's always something slightly different but you you just try and put together your knowledge over those years to probably bring the best out of it i was talking to a producer in Bordeaux a couple of years ago and he was saying that with the increase in technological equipment etc and winemaking knowledge yeah. they're getting much more consistency and that the yeah. sort of the idea of vintage variation was was becoming less so what's your thought on that look I celebrate um, vintage variation I think it's what makes um, single estate or single vineyard wines interesting um, expression like that that part of that expression and part of that story. Um, you know, for example, our 2017, which was a very cool vintage, the Shiraz is a beauty, beautiful. They have a beautiful, fine expression, somewhat probably less of it. You wouldn't expect them probably to be quite as fine and pretty as they are, but they've still got wonderful concentration. And, and so to me, the journeys between those, I would say that comment about the technology and, and the knowledge what you can do is is probably prevent some of the things that you might see in a more challenging vintage have such a bigger impact. But you you, you don't want to stop it to the extent that you don't see the prettiness and the beautiful. Yeah, you don't want to homogenise it, which is exactly yeah. you know in some in some categories is probably interesting. Um, for some people that might be great, and there's a you know Australian has got some very famous brands that of wine that built their success of being able to source from multiple different regions for a one particular wine and and deliver a certain consistent style year in year out um it's a different business in a way yeah, it is it is and i think that's the beauty of of collecting wines from you know that have a sense of place let's go through the wines that, that i've got here yep. one thing i mean what i tasted them last night and one thing i would say is that there's this vibrance that goes through all of them and I was, yeah. I was wondering if that's part of the fingerprint of the biodynamic is that you do get this sort of beautiful, it's like an energy. I suppose it's a bit of a cliche these days, but yeah. it, is, it is there. Yeah. It is it's very much. Yeah. I, I, it's nice to hear that, uh, especially if when wines have been transported halfway, you know, across the world. I think making great wines is about lots of detail and lots of little one percenters. And for me, biodynamics and organic farming is one of it maybe it's more than one percent um but it's it's a really important part of piecing together the puzzle you know i'd like to think that the sorting table removing any raisins any kind of impurities that are coming into the fermentation is one of those one percents that adds to this vibrancy and you know i know myself the ones that really excite me have a tension or a vibrancy to them um 
And so it's a goal of things that we do that try and do that rather than pumping the de-stemmed berries or skins to a fermenter, we're tipping them so that they're not getting kind of mashed up in the... Um, so there's this gentle kind of maceration. Then we work very hard in the, the post-fermentation. We generally, for especially the, the more expensive, smaller volume wines, we generally don't even use any of the pressings in the cuvées. And then, you know, carefully main, maintaining in Australia, um, it's probably not as common to, to store the wine in maturation at quite cold temperatures. So we're storing the wine, you know, at less than 14 degrees Celsius, basically a, you know, cellar temperature. And again, all those things preserving that, you know, the purity of the, of the wines. And then again, you know, really deft kind of touch of oak, etc. And with the, the 2020 Blanc and the, the, the 2019 Noir, these are the blends of five and six varieties. How, yeah. how has it been getting these, these, these blends to, to come together? Um, it's been interesting. Some of these are off relatively young vines. So the journey of some of these Chateau Pup varieties. So for example, the Blanc is a blend of Grenache Blanc, Claret, Bourbalanc, Picpoul and Roussan. So the Grenache Blanc, I think the first vintage was 2017. It was the first Grenache Blanc produced in Australia of this current time. I'm assuming some of those varieties may have came to Australia in the early colonisation, but just kind of got lost. And so we were able to, to get some ONTAV clones of those varieties. We're now at 20 would be the third vintage now of them. So the vines are starting to get a little bit more maturity. And as the vines have been getting more maturity, in the early days, they were actually getting fermented together because we had such small quantities. And now we're starting to actually look at some of them on their own as free run and then sometimes we're putting the pressings together as well so it's been a really fun three or four year journey kind of piecing these wines together you know whether they they get fermented together or whether they, we blend them later on has been a really new kind of little challenge for us to learn the blanc which i just tasted it's got gorgeous sort of ripe fruit different flavors going on but it's perfect i mean it's springtime here and it's sort of yeah. the ideal Mediterranean wine. Let's say, yeah, yeah, we'll be having some of that with our lunch <laughs> today. I imagine it's been an interesting learning curve for us because I've kind of gone and got a lot of shadow or southern Rhine whites, and we kind of. I don't know, just the climate's different. The, our expression of these varieties is really different to what I've seen in the old world. So it's it's been really fun. And then I've seen some new old wines where they've kind of probably pushed some of those varieties in, into quite a ripe um, style. And they can get quite fat and, and a little yeah. bit waxy and, and developed. And we found, whether it be by accident or good fortune, that exposing them in the vineyard so so ensuring they get a lot of sunlight onto them um, they seem to get a, a greater flavor maturation earlier and we're able to make a you know this this lovely fresh crisp um, yeah. style but it's also that they're very um, textural these varieties so I, I very think long. Nice. yeah they add a real lovely level of complexity to a you know what can be you know, a fresh, crisp white can be somewhat boring sometimes if, if you sure, haven't sure. got some of those, those extra characters. With the 2019 Noir, which I've got here, 
again is yeah. six grapes. Can you tell, talk a little bit about what's gone into it? I so mean, straight away, the aroma no, on this just leaps out of the glass. It's, it's very enticing, beautiful. Such a fragrant, Grenache is fragrant itself. I think, you know, audiences around the world, you know, Grenache Shiraz Mavedra that kind of morphed into Australian GSM um, had, to me, was kind of somewhat boring. <laughs> and Shiraz kind of nearly overhauls the expression because it's such a, a strong variety. So putting together the noir, we wanted to make Shiraz kind of quite in the background. And I think we're 14% Shiraz in that blend. It would probably never be higher than, you know, 15 or 20% in a, in a year. And it's what's interesting is Grenache is quite fragrant and pretty. Mavedra can be when it's picked early. And the revelation for the blend has probably been, although it's only small quantity, the Sinso 12%, Carignan 11 and the 2% Kunwa. They're lovely, red-fruited, spicy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And kind of bringing them in, we've actually fermented them all together as we've only had a little bit of it. The, the new plantings are kind of developing well now and we'll, we'll start to have more and more. But that... Beautiful flavour and it, it's got yeah. a certain lightness of touch as well. So you're, you're yeah. keen to go back and have another sip and it's just... It's yeah, very, very, exactly. Very nice, very um, so and we, we're very careful that it would probably go into um, barrels, no kind of old, younger than five years old. And uh, it would see some bigger, larger vats and sometimes a little bit of stainless steel. But we generally bottle it quite early and um, to kind of capture all that vibrancy. So it's kind of bottled in usually October of the same year of harvest. So it only has about six months maturation and the maturation that it's had since then has all been in bottle let's just taste the the old vine grenache i mean this is what i noticed with this when it opens up is it completely transforms into this sort of beautiful it's interesting i think you've got the 2018 um yeah, yeah. vintage vine grenache which is quite a warm year and probably one of the more full-bodied grenaches that we've made but it's interesting how full-bodied it is yet especially once it's been kind of open a little while the fragrance starts to come out and it's kind of got a, a way of beauty as well as this this lovely lushness of yeah, fruit yeah, on the yeah. Yeah, exactly. um, it's really a test you know the they're 70 year old vines our part of the world has got a lot in common with you know the great Grenache areas of the world like Chardonnay-Fdepap and Priorat with the age of the vines the kind of the climate the know-how and Grenache we're finding and we're seeing internationally just greater and greater interest around Grenache it often offers that generosity that sometimes you don't see in Pinot and, yeah. and people are yeah. I think really enamored by Pinot generally and these lighter, more medium bodied wines that, that show a sense of kind of beauty and prettiness. Um, yeah. It just fills out that lovely, sweet, sweet, soft kind of middle palate that I think makes them such an easily liked kind of wine. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's really sort of sweet, ripe, plush fruit that keeps going on and on and it's, it's really delicious yeah. i was quite surprised i was tasting it and it was a bit later when i went back and tasted it and I was like, wow that's just yeah opened up it completely transformed it was fantastic in the winemaking we tend to um because we're using a lot of larger format oak the wines are somewhat kind of reductive in the fact that they're not seeing a lot of air so it's kind of one of my things with with wines made in that fashion that the wine becomes a bit more of a journey too when you open the bottle so 
from the time when you first pour a glass, it kind of has a, it can be even a little bit closed in the, in the beginning, but then as you, as you get through and the, the wine's been in the glass for a while, everything starts to open and unfold, which I think also makes it interesting. It's part of that little, you know, journey through your bottle. Sure, no, definitely. With the Shiraz, I mean, that was pretty upfront from the get-go, but it, it's absolutely beautiful. The aroma, yeah. I mean, there's sort um, of and, violets, mulberry, no, it's all kinds of stuff in this is a really interesting wine. I'm sure if I served it to a lot of people blind, not knowing what it was, you know, they, they wouldn't guess that it's a preservative-free Shiraz. And the, and the way we make this wine to preserve all that fruit is we basically ferment it um, very gently because we don't want too much extraction because it's generally a, an early release wine. And then it goes through malolactic fermentation, which kind of stabilizes it. And then usually probably from two to three months after picking the grapes, we've bottled it. So it's really kind of, if I could say, this is the absolute character of the grapes. You're, you're kind yeah. of getting this um, pure kind of character of, of how our Shiraz tastes. Um, there's there's very, such simplicity to the winemaking for this one. Um, there's there's no oak maturation, um, just really fresh, vibrant, easy drinking Shiraz. Yeah, I was enamoured with this you know, from the get go. I just thought it was it's such a beautiful style of wine. Yeah, and it's been incredibly popular. We're finally you know getting really great results. And what's interesting, even though it doesn't have any sulphur as a preservative, it's actually doing you know I've looked at you know vintages back five vintages and it's still. Holds, holds really nicely. Holding together. We're um, finding that, um, you know, we're getting better and better at, at doing that wine. And, um, you know, just, and, and we're very fortunate. Probably 10 or 15 years ago, the styles, people wanted bigger, heavier. Yeah. And there's there's definitely a demand around the world for for these lighter, brighter um, styles. Yeah, yeah. So, and the tannin is very sort of very nice structure, but it's not overbearing. It's lovely balance. Yeah. It's really good. We've already talked about the climate impacts, but there's a lot of conversation around living soils and sequestering carbon, the climate, the, the global climate problem, if you like. And doing the, the biodynamic side and having this sort of bringing your soils back to life. What are your thoughts on estates like Yangara almost creating this sort of blueprint that other people can look at and say, well, look, yeah, this is a way that we can, it's making more more natural products, but it's, it's also doing a bit of extra good because you are locking up that carbon, you are creating an ecosystem, you are doing these, it's not monoculture farming. What are your thoughts on, on a more general level about all, all this? I think it's really interesting. I, I don't know that I'll have the answers, but I, I think everything that we're doing is setting ourselves up to be more resilient. So all we can do is, is set up our land to be resilient, um, our plants. Also, that includes kind of the choice of varieties, although we're in a cooler part of a warmer region. We've got varieties that are generally later ripening varieties. It's a bit like Grenache, for example, is an incredibly drought tolerant variety. It really needs very little water. So it's all those types of things that actually set yourself up that if we're going to be having more droughts or more extreme hot weather, we're at least well placed by the selection of the varieties that we've had. And in amongst that, we just hope that all the resilience that sets up, that nature nearly sets itself up, will also be our friend and help us. And it kind of goes 
so against probably some of the modern chemical companies that would try and tell you that, you know, the only way you'll get through this is, is to use more chemical or new, more products, but we're kind of betting on the opposite. And that's going to be I our think, friend. I think the, the rising youth and the generations our people are starting to, to look for this kind of integrity in the product, if, if you like. And I think it's, um, you know, the proof is obviously in the glass and these wines are fantastic. So, yeah, you're definitely doing the right thing as far as I, I can tell. Yeah. So thank you very no, much for speaking to me. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Sorry.